0: Good morning, good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed hour one, I invite you to check it out at myfaithradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, what do you expect to happen today? Like, what are your expectations? What's on your agenda? What's on your to-do list? What do you expect to happen today? Did you expect when you tuned in that I'd be here and that Paul Perot would be here, like, did you expect to hear something when you t- tuned in? And what did you expect? What do you expect God to do today without you having to ask? Like, I mean, you know, like we expect God to do what God's going to do. As my friend Mel M- Mills says, God be Godin',, right? <laughs> like, what's God going to be doing? What do I expect God to do? I expect God to be Godden. What do you expect God to do when you ask? What do you expect God to do if only you ask? What do you expect others to do no matter what God does? Like, what are your expectations today? What do you expect of yourself today? What expectations does God have of you today? I mean, if you're a person who knows God... um. And you know what God expects of you as his image bearer, his redeemed child, an ambassador of his kingdom, an agent of his grace, a minister of his reconciling love. I mean, if you, if you know what God expects of his people and therefore what God expects of you as a person, then, like, what are your expectations of the day? I like um, this turn of phrase, expect always the unexpected and anticipate miracles, knowing that with God, all things are possible. Do you expect the unexpected to happen today? Are you ready for that? Are you anticipating miracles today? Do you expect God to be God in an inbreaking way today? So I want to lift up this um, storyline and do so in the midst of having us think about expectations and what we expect to do today and what we expect to happen today. Um, Because I'm pretty sure that when Daniel Penny got on the New York subway on May the 1st, he did not expect to encounter Jordan Neely. He did not expect to... um, have an opportunity to engage initially as a good Samaritan serving others, but then ultimately find himself charged with manslaughter um, because Jordan Neely died at his hand. So what happened? Well, on May the 1st, a uh, 30 year old Jordan Neely um, was yelling at passengers on a New York city subway train. He said he was hungry. He said he was tired. He said he didn't care if he went to jail um, Mr. Neely was homeless, had a history of mental illness and drug abuse and, frankly, a long rap sheet. And until police um, arrived, three train passengers held Jordan Neely down. And one of them, 24-year-old Daniel Penny, who also happens to be a former U.S. Marine, wrapped his arms around Jordan Neely in such a way that he passed out um, and he died. And Daniel Neely is now accused of second-degree manslaughter, which is causing someone to die because of, I mean, I'll frame it this way, because you weren't careful enough. And so um, nobody expected their day to unfold this way when they got on the New York City subway. Um, And it gives us an opportunity, I think, as Christians to talk about how we process this information, how we help others around us process this information, and to really genuinely ask ourselves, all right, if Jesus were me today, um, how would he respond to all of this? Jesus responded to people with kindness and compassion when, um, when others did not. Um, Jesus was gentle when other people responded in anger or hate. Jesus was loving um, all the way to the cross. So, when we think about self-sacrificial love and we think about Jesus and we think about what does it look like to be literally the representatives or representing Jesus in the world today, what, what would that look like regardless of the status or the challenge being experienced by the person we encounter? Matthew 9, 36 reminds us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, I'm thinking about how Jesus responded to the Gerasene demoniac, like the world had literally put this guy in chains and forced him to live among the tombs because he was out of his mind. He was possessed by demons, demonic forces. He was what we would call mentally ill. Um. Even chains couldn't bind him anymore. And what did Jesus do? Jesus actually, I mean, Jesus didn't avoid that guy. Jesus sought him out. Um, What would it look like today for us to prioritize showing compassion to all people at all times? And what kind of different story might we be telling today if, I don't know, and I wasn't there, so please don't hear this as a condemnation of what happened Um, In terms of how people responded on that subway, because I but the end result is is that a man died. And so what might have happened if someone had offered Neely a cup of cold water? He said he was thirsty or offered him their lunch when he said he was hungry or offered him a word of encouragement when he said he didn't care if he went to jail. I also recognize that the experience has affected far more people than just Daniel Penny and um, and Mr. Neely. Everybody on that subway car, everybody that's related to everybody on that subway car, um, every single one of them is certainly affected. We need to be praying for, for everybody involved. But there's, but there's others affected as well. Family and friends and, um, well, and all of us who frankly now wonder, do, do I ever want to get on a subway? <laughs> like, right? This event reveals a lot about the current reality of American life, and, um, and we're going to talk about, like, as Christians, like, how do I live with the expectation of encountering... <laughs> All right. Um, Jordan Neely is the, the person um, in view in terms of the conversation about what took place on a New York City subway on May the 1st. But I want to expand our scope here and ask the question, like, what does God expect of you today? What does God expect of me today when we encounter Jordan Neely in our town? Um, because Jordan Neely is a person whose life is replicated millions of times across the United States of America. There's no question that the justice system failed. There's no question that the social services system failed. There's no question that um, his family was unable to help him in a meaningful way. And, and I will say, if you have a person in your family who is suffering from mental illness. Um, who is uh, suffering from addiction, you, you actually know the desperation related to this. There are lots of complexities in life today that contribute to the current reality of American life for millions of people. Mental illness, poverty, homelessness, hunger, loneliness, addiction, rejection, desperation, which results in the fear of the other and an increased isolation from any system that might be able to help. So this is complex, and I think that's one of the things I want to press us toward. Do not, um, let me encourage you, do not give in to the temptation to reduce this to something simple. Unless the simplicity to which you're going to reduce it is sin. What is the problem in this story? The problem is sin. There's no question about that. We live a long way from Eden. That is the problem. There's no question about that. So, but it's a tremendously complex conversation. And as you read across the coverage of this event, you're going to get a lot of different takes and you probably have a different take than um, than I do. That's why we have to talk about it. People see this story differently. But what does that tell us? How do we see it? How does God see it? What are the angles we might be missing? What are the things we might not have considered from our viewpoint or our vantage point or our particular distinct perspective? Think about all of the perspectives in the parable of the Good Samaritan. That that has been mentioned multiple times in relationship to this news story. Um, as this subway interaction conversation has you know, been broadcast, the Good Samaritan parable has been brought up a lot. So it's good to remind ourselves, what does that parable actually say? You can find it in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. What does the parable actually say? What are the different perspectives of each one of the individuals involved in the story? And who does Jesus say we're called to be? How we're called to interact and engage with a broken, desperate, hurting person. What does it mean to be the Good Samaritan today? How countercultural is that? Jesus was, our cle- was clear that our neighbors are not just, you know, people who we like and smell like us and act like us and are in their right minds and know Jesus already. It, it, Jesus described our neighbors as literally anyone we have an interaction with. And so do you expect today to meet a broken, desperate person on the side of the road? Along your way as you are going. Luke 10, verse 37, concludes this way. After Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is how he concludes the whole message Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I mean, I am just as adept as you are at bringing my political mind and all of my um, criticisms related to the systems that failed in this case. I am I'm, I'm really good at that, too. I know you're good at it. I see you on the text line right now. All of the what I I got it. Jesus tells a parable, and in it, he highlights the person that, allowed what they expected their day to include to be utterly interrupted by an encounter with a broken, desperate person. And Jesus commends the person who goes out of their way and at their own expense, makes sacrifices that someone else might be saved. And then he says, you know, who who treated this guy the way he ought to be treated? And they're like, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, he concludes it this way, Go and do likewise. Friend, if you, I mean, if you're listening right now and you're, re, you're just rebuffing that, you know, I, I just, I just going to be the one to say, you know, that's Jesus. That's not me. That's Jesus. That's not me. Hey, one of the headlines, um, that's out there today that you're going to encounter, um, let me ask Paul really quick. Paul is my producer. Do, do, do we want to squeeze in a break right now? We'll need to, yes. Yeah, let's do that. All right, so we're going to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, um, we're going to turn to a completely different subject, and that is the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Uh-huh. You might be surprised at who's on the cover, and you might even be more surprised that I've uncovered why. That's up next. You're on mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand, no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. All right. uh, One of the headlines um, out there today uh, comes from Sports Illustrated. Every year, Sports Illustrated is. mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I can spit that out. Sports Illustrated produces a swimsuit edition. From a gospel worldview, there are any number of reasons that we could list here. Um, Let's start with the fact that um, wearing a swimsuit is not a sport. So there's just a betrayal of the truth here. Um, uh, You can also ask yourself this. What is the purpose um, of the swimsuit edition? Like, what's the purpose of Sports Illustrated producing a swimsuit edition at all? Because wearing a swimsuit is not actually a sport. Uh, So... It is, there's no question. There's no question it is to appeal to the visual appetite. It it is catering to lust. Like, there's just no question that's what's going on here. And so um, the target audience is men. Sexual fantasy is the whole point. And so what is Sports Illustrated doing when on the cover of the Swimsuit Edition, it features a biological man who, through hormones and plastic surgery, has a body that appears female? How is Sports Illustrated manipulating the consumer and softening the resistance to trans ideology and leading people to lust like okay, so just at the most basic gospel level, that's what's going on, and we should say that here's the storyline um Sports Illustrated announced on Monday that trans trans identified model Kim Petris, which it's interesting that this person is described as a model because elsewhere this person is described as an artist, a singer. Kim Petras is going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Um, This 30-year-old singer uh, is going to be the second trans-identified model to be featured on a cover. Here's the real story that they're not telling you. Petras, well, they they do tell you this part. Petras had another big announcement on Monday. actually, Actually, the announcement includes this. The musician's debut album, Feed the Beast which comes out on June 23rd. So just note that on the day that it was announced that Kim Petras, identified as a singer, whose debut album, note that, debut album, Feed the Beast, is going to be out on June the 23rd, that's the same day that Sports Illustrated announced that this singer is going to, this trans-identified individual, uh, is going to be on the cover of the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated. What is going on here? What's going on here? I can tell you. I mean, this is a this is a follow the money conversation. So Sports Illustrated is the leading sports magazine in the United States. It is published by the Meredith Group. But in 2019, Meredith sold Sports Illustrated to Authentic Brands. So make a note of that. Authentic Brands owns Sports Illustrated. Kempetris signed with Republic Records in July of 2021, and Republic Records is a wholly owned subsidiary of Universal Music. Well, Universal Music and Authentic Brands um, have a relationship that they announced in 2021. Here's the announcement. Universal Music Group and Authentic Brands Group announce strategic initiative to acquire and actively manage artist brands. Aha! This is literally a publicity campaign. Kim Petrus is on the cover of Sports Illustrated because Sports Illustrated is, uh, is owned by Authentic Brands, and Authentic Brands has a relationship with Universal Music, who's representing guess who? Kim Petrus. It's literally a publicity campaign. This is all about marketing Kim Petrus as an artist. It has nothing to do with whether or not anyone actually wants to see this individual in a swimsuit or whether or not a rationale could be publicly made for this individual to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. This is about brand promotion, and Kim Petras is a brand. And you're saying to yourself, why have I heard that name before? Because Kim Petras is the person uh, at the center of a controversy related to the Grammy Awards. At the Grammy Awards, Kim Petras and a non-binary individual whose name is Sam Smith... They were awarded a Grammy for Best Pop Duo um, in a, for a single called Unholy. And they performed the song, as you might remember, in an overtly satanic-themed sexualized act. It is, it is that public event at the Grammys where we get Kim Petras talking about religion So in interviews following that performance, Kim Petras says, um, I think a lot of people have kind of labeled what I stand for and what Sam stands for as religiously not cool. I personally grew up wondering about religion, wanting to be a part of it, but then slowly realizing it doesn't want me to be a part of it. So unholy is a take on not being able to choose religion, not being able to live the way people might want you to live because you know as a trans person, I'm kind of already not wanted in religion. So I I want us to recognize what's going on here beneath the surface and behind the scenes. It stands out to me that this person who the world knows as a trans singer who glorifies Satan and sex, grew up as a religiously curious person. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has set eternity in our hearts. Religious curiosity literally comes naturally to us. So there was an opportunity in Kim Petrus' life. There was an opening for the gospel. And I hold out hope that that curiosity about God persists today. This quote by Kim Petras reveals that this person feels rejected by and isolated from religious people. The quote is literally, I'm kind of already not wanted in religion. So I want us to test ourselves here. Is that true? In my heart of hearts, in your heart of hearts, do you and I truly want Kim Petras as people who claim to know the love of God in Jesus Christ, as people literally sent by God to seek and to love those who are lost, those who are confused, isolated, body mutilating, and yes, Satan worshiping, do we want them? Because God does. So, there are going to be people today who absolutely mock the choice of Sports Illustrated to feature Kim Petras on the cover. And so I want you to know that that is really all about shrewd business decision-making and the promotion of an artist as a brand. There's a financial motivation behind their choice, and it has nothing to do with sports or swimsuits. But I also want you to pray for this person, this image-bearer of God, who is living in a delusion that has much more to do with the soul than the mutilation of the flesh. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, you just heard John Stone Street talk about diversity, specifically in the workplace. Might there be a different kind of diversity that most companies, most workplaces, are completely ignoring? Diversity might be a loaded term today, but there is a diversity in the workplace that we as Christians ought to be um, focused in on and actually celebrating. And that's the diversity of generations who are present and the deep desire of younger generations to be mentored by those of us who are further along in our careers. We're going to talk with Tim Elmore about a new kind of diversity. Making the different generations on your team a competitive advantage. We'll also talk with Tim about a range of other things like loneliness in the workplace. And um, yeah, I mean, just ways in which we can amplify and celebrate the differences generation to generation and then connect with one another across that gap. All of that up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Tim Elmore is joining us now. We're going to talk about his latest book, A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage. Tim, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Thanks, Carmen. Great to be with you.
0: So when we talk about generations, um, most of us probably have a sense of the generation that we are in you are encouraging us to consider the generations next to us, and in particular for those of us in the workforce to consider generations who are younger than us. Can you you just talk a little bit about why this approach to a conversation about um, diversity in the workplace?
1: Yeah, a couple of reasons. One would have everything to do with our faith, the other more with just culture in general. Uh, The faith reason is because we're we're encouraged over and over and over again in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, for the senior generation to be pouring into the younger generation. That's just a calling on our life. But today, there are as many as five generations in the workplace. And because we've grown up in different time periods, we have different niches in our thinking. New technology was introduced in each of our growing up years that was different than the younger so um, here's a good illustration. When I was growing up, and I'm a baby boomer, Carmen, so I'm, I'm a dinosaur. Uh, so I would say in the 1960s, our family had one screen in our house. It was a TV. And it was a mm-hmm. black and white TV at first. And we all gathered around. We watched I Love Lucy or Dick Van Dyke together. We laughed together, talked together. We were together. Fast forward to today, we've each got our own screens in our hands, right? Uh, smartphone. And now we can be in echo chambers that are completely different. So a mom and dad may know that their daughter has uh, Instagram, an Instagram account. They have no idea she has five Finsta accounts, fake Instagrams, where she's developing personas and talking to Lord knows who. So I'm just saying the gap has gotten wider since the baby boomers were the new kids on the block, and we've got to build bridges rather than walls, or we're just going to be frustrated rather than fascinated with each other.
0: All right, so let's talk a little bit about um, the generations that you know. I'm I'm 55, yeah. so let's look yeah. at uh, let's look at the next crowd, millennials, who I still think of as young people, but they're not. No. They're like yeah. full grown yeah. adults with you know they're they're out there with careers, they're buying houses, and some of them are having kids. When we talk about millennials, we're talking about your kids, and I love the way that you bring them into focus um, when we're talking about you know, building bridges to other generations. Um, So maybe just, you know, what are the challenges that your kids are facing in relationship to, let's say, home ownership? Are they actually working in their educated for chosen professions and having kids?
1: Well, it's a great question. Both of my kids are millennials and they are both gainfully employed. Thank you, Lord. But um I remember in 2020 when we were quarantined and our daughter was over at our house. She lived um, on her own, but she was at our house. And I remember she looked at me and said, Dad, will I ever be able to afford a home? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't say, absolutely, of course you will. I I couldn't say that. So um, both of my kids are in their careers. They're doing what they want to do. But um, Bethany and Ben just now got a home. My my son, Jonathan, and Ashley May are out in LA and they are renting a, a home, but um, they're facing the challenges. My daughter's very aware. This is the third economic downturn since she was a teenager. And she even asked me, is this normal for the economy? And I said, it isn't. These, this many ups and downs is not normal. So they're facing a more difficult time. And I think we need to lead with empathy, Carmen rather than frustration. I say frustration because I think typically my generation goes, kids today, you know, lazy snowflakes or whatever, you know. And I, and I think we don't quite realize it's just a different world and it's a bit overwhelming. I don't know if I'd wanna be a kid today. So I'm not sure if that's a good answer to your question, but they're facing some of the challenges and I'm really trying to start with listening rather than telling, empathizing with where they are and then guiding them once I've earned my right to speak into their life.
0: Well, and um, and your son Jonathan, um, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, he's a writer in Hollywood, and yeah, I, I know, yeah. I'm, so I'm thinking this latest, you know, issue with that crowd, and and all <laughs> yeah. of the conversations related to, you know, maybe he's going to be, he and his ilk be replaced by AI, like I, yeah. like my, I mean, I get acid in my throat when I think about the the prospects that millennials are looking at when they consider how how radically the workplace environment has already changed just in their few years of being in it but how many yeah. more radical changes are yet coming
1: yeah they they definitely feel this in fact we just my son and i just recently talked about chat gpt and it yeah it's amazing what it can do in fact you know this carmen but a kid who's a let's say a freshman in high school can just grab that app that ai app and say write a paper on macbeth make two mistakes and write it about my level, blah, blah, blah. And out comes a paper, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's there's moral implications, obviously, ethical implications. But yet we all know this is fascinating. This could speed up the workplace. And what I would tell your listeners is instead of just saying it's evil, let me just remind you, I remember when I was growing up as a kid, educators were questioning calculators, You know, should we let these kids have calculators? You know, I'm going, oh, my gosh, we all have them now, you know, and we're still good. But we just have to repurpose what does it mean to live a moral life and to be people of integrity. And we're just going to have to figure that out.
0: Yeah. And now, you know, you could not just a calculator, but you can say to chat GPT, solve this, uh, solve this problem and show your work. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean the, so you can show you can ask it to show the math like, it, it, yeah, there's all kinds of challenges out there related to um, technology and its use and how um, how much it's going to influence different vocations in the future. Maybe let's just talk about the the need, the desire, the value of those of us who are older and more experienced um, Yeah inviting into a kind of a mentoring relationship those who are younger than us in the workplace. We have talked um, on many occasions about the the desire for emerging generations to have real mentors, people who are further along than they are. So when we come back from a very brief break, can we talk about that, Tim?
1: Absolutely. Let's do it. Great.
0: We're talking with Dr. Tim Elmore. He is the CEO of Growing Leaders. You can find him and Growing Leaders at growingleaders.com. He's here today talking with us about a new kind of diversity. And we're talking about um, really mentoring generation to generation inside the workplace where most of us spend most of our time. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at myfaithradio.com. Dot com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners. Well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Dr. Tim Elmore. If you're not familiar with Tim, um, please check out uh, what he is working on at growingleaders.com. If you ever um, read the book Habitudes, then you're going to um, recognize some of the uh, things that he talks about and the approach that he takes in his newest book, A New Kind of Diversity. Um, Tim, talk with us about, I'm going to use the term mentoring. Maybe that's not the right language. Um, You know, how... How do we invite and then like shepherd those who are generationally younger than us in our vocational settings?
1: Let's identify who are the younger generations. The two youngest, some might have heard very little about. It would be Generation Z following Generation Y, the millennials, and then the alpha generation, which would be children in elementary school and even younger So there are seven generations alive today, believe it or not, because people are living longer and mamas are still having babies, seven distinct sociological generations. I believe because Gen Z and the alphas are growing up not just with a cell phone, but with a smartphone. Uh, Kids are asking Google, Siri, and Alexa questions that kids used to ask mom and dad. Uh, It's a different day. So they don't need us for information. They need us for interpretation. Interpretation. Let me help you make sense of all that you know. You know, I know you watch seventeen YouTube videos on this thing. Now, let me give context to the content. That's the number one issue of our day with kiddos. So, what I recommend, and I and I say this in the book, the new kind, a new kind of diversity. We need to start reverse mentoring relationships. Reverse mentoring. So we're still pouring into them. This is this is where an older generation person, uh, maybe a Gen Xer or a Boomer, would get with a Gen Zer or a Millennial and they would uh, share stories. You always find common ground when you swap stories, but then the older can invest in the younger. You know, here's what I've learned on how to succeed at this organization, but then they trade hats and the older becomes the mentee, not the mentor and shares, uh, you know, the question, you know, show me your superpower. What do you know? Well, the younger kids got a lot that we don't know. I mean, they might teach us how to monetize TikTok for the company or you know, you know, know, devise the latest app. I'll, t- I'll share a great story with you. I know we have just a few minutes, but t- I talk about Tony in the book. Tony was a college student a few years ago and worked at a major retail brand paint store. While on his shift at this paint store, he loved it. He loved his job and he started a TikTok account and he started posting videos of himself mixing paints and having fun with it and so forth. Well, Tony- went viral on TikTok. When he got 1.4 million followers on TikTok, 37 million views, he thought, man, I should show this to the management here. Maybe we could mark- use this for marketing you know, or monetize this. So he puts a slide deck together and he asks for a meeting with the executives. Get this, Tony doesn't get one person to listen to him. Mm. Doesn't get one set of eyeballs on that slide deck. Tony did get something he didn't expect. Tony got fired because the management was just sure that this kid was doing this on company time, you know, probably stealing the paint, probably distracting to the customers. So Tony moves from Ohio down to Florida, now has 2 million followers on TikTok and has started his own paint store. Now, there's probably lots to the story we don't understand, but one thing I do know those older folk could have learned from this younger guy, had they been both sharing and listening. So the time, excuse me, the older generations have timeless wisdom that the younger need, but they have timely intuition on where the world's going that we need. If we could get together, this could be a a beautiful thing.
0: I heard a commencement address um, from the University of Florida this year, and it was um, not by a person of you know our generation uh, yeah, it, yeah. it was it was by a very recent um recipient of a gold medal at you know at the at the Olympics the winter olympics yeah and i thought to myself in that um who do who do graduates want to hear from yeah and and then what are those people saying that's sticky enough right yeah. to actually yeah. encourage them and so maybe this is a little, you know, off off the book. But, um, you know, what is Tim Elmore's three-minute commencement address this year to people entering the workforce?
1: Wow. I would say that my three-minute commencement would be about probably about self-leadership. I mm. think many of us who get into places of influence forget what got us there, perhaps, so my talent may get me to the stage, but it's my character that keeps me on that stage. So um, I, I would say there's great value in the timeless and the timely. So the timeless is don't ever leave behind that discipline, uh, that, that ethic, that work ethic that you built way back in the day. Um, those social skills, uh, technical skills are gonna come and go. In fact, I think we need to relearn technicals probably every five, six years. Social skills uh, would never go away. They continue to be timeless, so I would say, pay attention to leading yourself, do that well, and you'll naturally earn the right to influence other people, even without a badge on
0: That's so good um one of the things that uh the commencement um speaker said that that stuck with me um was the live with the expectation that there is an unexpected opportunity like be prepared wow. to yeah. like walk into something and do something that you had never imagined that you would do. Yeah. yeah. And she also talked about surrounding yourself with good people and, Mm. and, you know, and gave credit to all of the people who believed in her in the same way she believed in herself and then, you know, helped her. And I thought she's giving credit there to people in older generations. Um, There are like, we need to do that. We need to help younger people. Um, get into and, you know, and find their flow in what we're doing professionally.
1: No doubt about it. In fact, I would say to every older person, let's say over 40, don't think control, think connect. I think sometimes when things seem out of whack, we just want to tighten the screws of control on our kids or those young team members, lazy slackers, you know, and I say, you know, control's a myth. Uh, None of us are in control, Um, but we can seek connection at the heart level maybe an arm around the shoulder, uh, not a clenched fist type of leadership. And when we do that, we don't get control, but we gain deepened influence in their lives. But it's through relationships. And um, I just say that never, ever, ever becomes antiquated if we're willing to really build that relationship with them. We must build bridges of relationship that can bear the weight of truth. That's what I think we got to do.
0: Um, yeah, I, I love the image of um, an arm around the shoulder. I remember, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to give credit to my dad here, but I might be wrong because I was, you know, young. Um, but I remember my dad saying something like, um, that arm around your shoulder is like the gentle yoke. And when mm-hmm. Jesus, yeah. you know, says, you know, yeah, yeah, come to me, right? And we, be, when we are yoked to him, like, if we think of that yoke as a gentle arm around the shoulder, like we are connected to that yeah. other person in a way that's really important, but they're actually bearing much of the weight of what's going on.
1: Yeah. I love yeah. that. That's such Good a image. great
0: picture. Good image. Tim, as always, um, thank you. Um, I I love all that you do and the way that you do it um, and the the lives that you've influenced, including mine. So thank you for spending this time with us
1: today. My pleasure, Carmen. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. That's Dr. Tim Elmore. Please check out growingleaders.com. You can connect from there with all of Tim's socials. We've been talking today specifically about his new book, A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right, finally this morning, um, do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? Um, And how do you hear what you hear when you hear it? So um, I'm reading this uh, headline about Brittany Griner. You will remember that Brittany Griner is a WNBA player who was held in prison um, in Russia um, for a long period of time. She has recently played in her first game since that detainment and um and she said hearing the national anthem quote definitely hit differently after spending 10 months in a russian prison so you to just think about that um for for a moment how do you hear what you hear um when brittany Greiner was standing with her teammates on friday night um at the at the uh Footprint Center in Arizona as the Phoenix Mercury, like right, took the court her first time back and the Star Spangled Banner began to play. And she says, it definitely hit me differently after spending 10 months in a Russian prison. How do you hear what you hear today and how are others hearing differently today because of recent experiences? Just because you've shared the gospel with somebody in the past and they didn't hear it doesn't mean they might not hear it differently today. What life circumstances have people experienced and journeyed through that may have tenderized them to the good news of the gospel, to the love of God, to the presence of the Holy Spirit, to the reality that God sees them and loves them and knows them and wants them? Just because you've said something to someone in the past doesn't mean they might not hear it differently if you say it again today. Have a great day. and God. Bless you. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.